Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. So just for the podcast, once again, I'm with Jennifer Carlin. Um, You've been a... You're an EMT. Mm -hmm. Your daughter's in the Air Force. Your husband is retired um, military, like myself, wounded. um, Struggles on some stuff. And you live... Jennifer, you live every day with his struggles, too. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, but you're an EMT driving an ambulance around the county here in Okaloosa County, Florida. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing trauma and, and just pain and suffering almost every day. It's a patient population that I don't know that we, um, in the medical field, that outside of military medical, I don't know that we're handling as best as we could just in the the way community systems are structured and stuff like that because we deal with on the just community ems side we deal with wounded vets and stuff as well um you know we transport them whether they've already gone to a hospital for help and now we're taking them to an inpatient facility or we're responding to their house because of a crisis um you know there's just it's just kind of the way things get dispatched it's the ability for you know us to get there it's it's kind of it's kind of a, a messed up system how are you making it what do you mean i mean like you, you your husband my friend is uh and you've seen me i mean you've seen me panic <laughs> over some you, you've yes. been there when i've had my anxiety attacks i'm down in the hospital like I'm sitting over at my house and like I'm grabbing my chest and you come over and you're like, oh, it's not a heart attack after. Well, you sent me to the hospital to make sure it wasn't a heart attack. I remember the first two times. And after that, we started figuring out what was going on. It's, it's like your whole life is, it's, it's always important. It's like you're not playing any games. It's like you're not just sitting around like watching the fish. I don't do well on, with that. Lay down the beach <laughs> I gotta be busy. No. Yeah. Um, you give a lot. I mean, it's you pull those shifts that are like forty eight hours. You're one of your best friends, a nurse down at the Anglin Hospital. Yeah, she's labor and delivery. Mm-hmm. And she helps out here at the house a lot. Like mm-hmm. I always knew either she was here or like, somebody was here to take you know help us out. And I, I guess like you know sometimes. Like you've looked over at, at vet church and, and what me and Kate are doing and traveling around and thought like, no, this is the right thing to do. And you've told me that mm-hmm. and you've encouraged me. You've put money into vet church at times when I was out on the road and we ran out of gas money one time. You, you helped out. I'll never forget that. And, And you're a normal person, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. You're just like a normal person. You've got a normal job, <laughs> and you're constantly helping out. And I think that's where the beauty of everything works into is just when you're just a normal person. is like, I'm going to do something with my life. I don't know that I'm normal. <laughs> boring. Yeah, normal's boring. Normal's very well, you boring. You do have some great tattoos and stuff. Yes. but <laughs> that, That's an incredible tattoo. Um that's another story. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, well, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> and none of us are normal. No. And you know that, and I know it too. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that everybody has the ability to help somebody out. Yes. If you have the ability, it's important that you use that ability because it's you don't know. You know, it's that it's that concept of pay it forward. It's that it's that you don't know how your actions impact others, and hopefully it's positive. You know, hopefully you know it's it's just like that. You've seen memes on Facebook and stuff. You drop that pebble in the water, and the ripples. Each one of those ripples is an impact. Yeah. And and our words and our actions are the same. And you know, you never you don't know when you post these things on Facebook you have no idea sometimes the number of people that you're reaching or the difference that your words make 
you know, I know the difference that they make. I've seen it in other people. I know the difference that you've made and, you know, you and you and your wife have made in our family and your friendship and your ear, you know, just for my husband, um, you know, the, that whenever you two, you know, talk, it, it always leaves him in a positive place. You know, when y'all started to talk, he wasn't in a positive place, but he's always left in a positive place, you know, and that's, that's important. We don't, you know, we need to encourage that positivity and that moving forward, not sitting stagnant, not following backwards. I mean, we all have issues, we all have hurdles, but if you have the ability to help somebody overcome that hurdle, and it may not be the way that you want to help them. And I think that's one of the hardest things and where people get really screwed up with helping others is they want to help them, but they want to help them the way that they want to do it. And you have to stop and listen and look at how do they need help. And, and I think that hinders a lot of people's ability to help others is the ability to look outside themselves and say, okay, I think they should do it this way, but they seem to really want to go this route. So we'll go try this route because that's what they need. And, you know, and you might ultimately come back to the way that you want to do it, but they have to try, they have to find out what they're capable of, what they can do. And if you have the ability to facilitate that, then facilitate that. Well, you know, that's, you're really hitting on something key. The idea of felt needs and real needs. Like the person may be saying, hey, I really need you to listen to me. And I'm feeling like, no, what I need you to do is listen to this. <laughs> I don't need to listen to you. But if if it's a real need, instead of just my felt needs for you. Now, I wasn't married to David during his military service. So I've kind of come in on the backside. And one of the things that I've had to learn throughout our marriage and through watching him struggle and trying to overcome things that he's worked through. And sometimes he struggles, you know, they rear their head again and we have to reattack and figure out a new, you know, a new plan is, um, learning when he just needs to talk and learning when he needs help fixing it, because there is a line, like just because somebody is saying that they have this going on, doesn't mean that, you know, we need to fix it sometimes stepping back and listening so that they have a sounding board so they can fix it themselves is much more important and much more effective and much more permanent in their success and growth as a person and moving beyond whatever issue is plaguing them. And that's, it's been hard. Like that's not because I am a fixer. I want to fix it. I don't want him to hurt. I don't want him to be sad. I don't want him, you know, to feel anything other than, you know, Hey, normal, happy, whatever's. And so, you know, but that's not me fixing it doesn't necessarily fix it, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. It's kind of it's kind of like, you know, the there's a, a Seinfeld program out there where it talks about the, it talks about the, it, you know, like the the George is having this problem with the girl, and he's like, just don't don't try to fix it, just listen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like when you let your kids fall and they, you know, they have, you can, you can pad their world with bubble wrap or you can let them fall and get a scraped knee. They're going to figure out how to keep, you know, it's weird too. Cause like you were saying earlier that like, why should I do a vet church interview? And I was telling you like, it's it because you are helping people. You've helped me. You've helped other people. And, it, and it's the same thing you're saying. Like none of us, I think feel that we have something to offer. In fact, like the other day when I did my first, the podcast thing here, I was real nervous about it. And I talked more than I should have. I should have listened a little bit more instead of talking as much. And it kind of goes back to the same thing that we're saying. Yeah. It's, you know, I've had to, there's a lot I didn't know. And, you know, one of the things I noticed, you know, David would try to talk to me and I'm asking questions because he's using acronyms and he's, and I'm like, What? are you talking about, dude? I don't have a clue. <laughs> and, you know, and it's when we had, we were dating and he had asked me to, you know, if I would be his healing partner and, you know, I'm like, all right, yeah, woohoo. I got this. We're good. Yes. You know, and I had no clue what that entailed. I had no clue what he was really asking me. Do I have no regrets? I wouldn't, I would have said, I would say yes again, a million times over. Um, it's not always been an easy journey. Um, it's definitely been a some excitement here and there, <laughs> but, uh, um, 
you know, I do it. I would do it a million times over again. I mean, it's the person he was when we met and the person that he is today are definitely different people, but they're equally as important and equally as awesome. Have you changed too? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> definitely a lot more patient than I used to be. <laughs> a lot more patient. Well, for our, for our viewers that like heard healing partner, just let me give you a description because David isn't here right now. David is a, a giant of a man in stature, and I feel like he can just break me with one hand. <laughs> and most of the time when I... But does he have his goatee and stuff on right now? Oh, yeah. He's fuzzy. He looks like a warrior's warrior. I, I just saw him. I, I forget cause sometimes he shaves it off, but he's he's, he's usually got on... No, he's just come out of a knee surgery. But he's usually got on all this leather, his biker gear. He's part of a, uh, one of America's premier motorcycle clubs. Um, awesome individual. And, and not, not it, it's a weird thing because we live in a society that thinks that like the, the Rambo types, the warrior Conan types of this world don't need to heal. And, oh, no. and David is somebody that's taught me that true strength is owning some of that is owning the fact that you're struggling. It doesn't make you weak to admit you need help. It makes you a stronger person because we cannot, we can't do everything on our own. I mean, that's the reason why we make teams. That's the reason why we have friends, you know, that's, you can't, you have to have help. You've got to have, you know, a support network of some, some sort. Um, that was one of the, I think it was 2012, end of 2012, beginning of 2013, he had elected to go um, inpatient in Biloxi. And um, at the time, because of the kids' ages and stuff like that, my ability to go and participate with with him in the therapy sessions was significantly hindered. So um, we were able to do it by phone. And the lady was driving me super freaking nuts. You know, she he had told her, I had told her, look, I'm a, I'm a nurse. I will also work on an ambulance. Like, I have contact. I have experience. I have an understanding and understand what PTSD is. You know, they're telling him, oh, we're going to teach you this toolbox. We're giving you these coping skills. And that's great. And he was doing very well over there. But nothing was changing at home. So, you know, my question constantly to the, the doctor was, what are you doing with him? What kind of changes do I need to make at home? Whether it's rewarding how we ask questions or rewarding how we communicate. There, you know, things have to change at home in order to keep what they're teaching him cemented. Otherwise, exactly what happened, you know, it's going to all, it's, it's all for naught. And she finally said to me, she's like, ma'am, you just need to look PTSD up on the internet. And, you know, what is that supposed to do? How does that help me help him? Like, he has a support network in place that wants to be there, but we can't support him if we don't know what you're doing with him. And it, it's just so freaking frustrating. So what, when he, how did you find out what PTSD is? What, how did I find out? Through training and contact, experience. So what is, what is a normal, like when, when somebody gets told something like that, I guess is what I'm asking. Oh, when she said that to me? Yeah. I don't think I was very polite on the phone to her at that point, if we're going to be completely honest. <laughs> um, you just <laughs> F herself right No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, no explicatives were used, okay. but I made myself clear. Um because it does it it's it's like you know he's he's not in this fight by himself he doesn't want to be in this fight by himself he wants to be a positive part of the family he wants to be a part of the family but it's like it almost creates a separation because if we don't know you know if the family doesn't work with the therapies and work with the the veteran then they're not going to be able to to work together exactly and, well, what's the point? You know, you and it's like you can't, you can't separate them. That's that's their support network, and if you take that away, or if you isolate them from that, you know, isolation is is super dangerous. Mm-hmm. Super dangerous. What makes things worse? Oh yeah, because it it just allows everything to get crazy, and it feeds that monster of I'm by myself. Nobody cares. Nobody understands. All of which is a lie. Mm-hmm. It, it's. It's like, you know, they talk about Satan being the great deceiver. I've often felt like the drugs that masked what was really going on was part of that deception 
of like just pure evil because when when we first met you know i was coming off of mm-hmm. sitting over here not having done anything in fact i mean like i remember walking around the block is kind of where i met david walk around the block <laughs> i know that first morning you stopped and you're like looking at something with the chickens and i was like uh can i help you i was ready to just <laughs> take you out <laughs> i was like um i'm gonna run you over like i gotta go <laughs> And I called my husband, and I was like, so there's this really tall dude that was at the driveway, asked about the chickens, like, I don't know. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's Matt, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, uh, Vanna would like to buy a vowel. <laughs> I need a clue here. <laughs> we, we, we admit, because he was he doesn't, walking, too. But this is, goes back to he doesn't remember. He doesn't, you know, yeah. he didn't, he thought he'd had a conversation. He doesn't remember. Which, see, and <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's part of your <laughs> education about what was going on with David mm-hmm. with his PTSD and because um, it, it has different forms it does and it and those forms change depending upon what's going on I mean he doesn't have some people have like a, a day and he has kind of a a period just because of events that went on at different times it was kind of one thing started here and then just it was week after week some different things so he has kind of a, a time frame and he starts getting a little antsy as it gets close to that time of year. And then he's he's done a little better year by year. Um, I don't expect this year to be a very good one. He's uh, This knee surgery has definitely um, thrown him for a loop, just uh, dealing with pain, physical pain versus mental pain. And one, you know, one thing fuels the other. It's kind of like a chicken and egg issue. It's what, I don't know which one's exacerbating the other one. You know, that's... My drummer went through this. Well, you know, Dan. Um, he went through solar surgery and the neck surgery. Now they're talking about or back surgery. Now they're talking about neck surgery. What is a spouse supposed to do? Well, it's, I mean, it's kind of frustrating in, in this sense. It was. It's like trying to get civilian doctors to understand, you know, PTSD is not, it's kind of like cancer. It's a misnomer. You use cancer as a blanket umbrella term. But there's this type of cancer and this type of cancer and this type of cancer, and each one is treated differently. And, you know, as science and stuff goes on, there's more and more found of, you know, we're going to try this and try this. And you have successes and you have failures. And PTSD is the same way. You can't, it's not the same. It's not a universal. It's, it's, it's independent and it's personal. And trying to, you know, getting people that don't know have contact with this to understand, it's not like, oh, they have anxiety or, oh, you know, they have this mental health problem. It's cellular. It's their body is physically, physiologically, chemically changed. Their brain is changed. Um, easy, easiest example, if right now, if I had a pager on me like we have on the ambulance and it were to go off, you know, I'd be all like amped up. It's adrenaline dump. I'm ready to go. For somebody with PTSD in the general sense, that's going to be probably a calming thing. Like for David, if a pager were to go off, that's calming. That's soothing because it's that positive adrenaline dump. And that's one of the biggest things is a lot of times, you know, people are looking for that adrenaline dump because it's they've lived at this high, you know, level for so long, you know, when they have these year-long or 18-month-long deployments and they, this that's their new norm. So how do you feed that with positive behaviors? So that's where drugs come in. That's where, you know, risky behaviors, things like so that. Some maladaptive practices. Right, because yeah. they're trying, they need that dump to find that calm so they can continue on. Yep. And, you know, and it's things like when you get trying to get civilian doctors to understand, look, they're already up here. So when you think about like the body's normal fight or flight response, they walk around amped up all the time, 24-7, 365. So regular pain medication practices, rules and laws. These, we just had these new laws go into effect July 1st for the opiates because I guess it's like the gun law thing where, you know, the people that follow the laws, let's keep punishing them. So now how do you medicate these guys appropriately within the confines of the laws as they're written? You can't. I don't even know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, they've just totally changed all these regulations with opiates because it's going to help our opiate overdose problem. I promise you, the people that I pick up on the ambulance, if they want the drugs, are going to get them. I don't care what laws you put in effect. But it's that you can't use regular approaches or doses or, you know, anything to... And that's been one of his challenges is the entire time 
Wednesday will be five weeks post-op. He's had no pain relief. He had about a four-hour window of pain relief um, after a trip to the ER when he had a bleed and everything was going on. With that, the doctor had to give him Dilaudid, fentanyl, and Ativan before he could even touch his leg. That was it. About four hours. That's the only window of pain relief he's had in five weeks. So he's not on any opiates or anything? Nope. Well, he don't want to be either. No. He doesn't. He doesn't take any of that. But, you know, when you think about regular, you know, like you're talking about with Dan and trying to deal with surgery and the spouse is trying to support because, of course, they're hurting, they're angry. They, yeah, because this know, they is going s- on all over the country. Right. They say ugly right things. Here. They There's no secret window other than just trying to educate the provider and getting them to understand this is a f- permanent physiological change within this person and they have to be handled differently. They're not like, you know, you can go in and do... Hell, Tylenol makes me sleepy. You know, like, I don't take... I'm still mad at him making fun of me. I had to have Ativan one time when they because they had to relax me to get into my eye. I had something going on with my eye, and I couldn't relax to open my eye. And they gave me teeniest, tiniest dose of Ativan you could give me, and I was pfft, gone. <laughs> he still makes fun of me. The doctor still makes fun of me when I go in the ER to drop off patients. I'm just like, stop it. <laughs> but, you know, for him... Well, in... And you mentioned something you said, something about saying things are ugly. Mm-hmm. And, and Kate, you know me, something about me saying, like, and, and anybody that looks at the veteran community, I mean, we, we say things that we, we use a lot of vulgarity mm-hmm. because that's what we it's did how you in know the how military. to express. And yeah. so, like, when it comes to these intense moments, that stuff just comes right on mm-hmm. out. And it's not really cool. No, it's not really fair. It's not really cool. Um, it takes a thick skin sometimes to deal with you guys. It doesn't, you know, it it hurts sometimes, but it's that, you know, you have to remind yourself that it's it's not them. It's the disease, if that's a good way to, to you know. I don't, I don't, I hate labels, and I don't want to label. It's not a disease. It's not a disorder. It's not... It's, it's who that person is it's now. It's that moment. Right. It's that exactly the moment. Thank you. You know, it's the, um, you know, sometimes like communication is very difficult. It's, you know, depending on how PTSD hinders that person, um, communication can sometimes be a pretty universal thing and their ability to ex- truly express what they're feeling or what they need is it's hard. They don't. And, and, so sometimes the acting out aspect of it, if you want to call the the hurtful words or behaviors or whatever, um, that's the only way they know to get the get attention or to get their point across. Um, you know, it's it's extremes of saying, you know, if I had my pistol, I'd put it in my mouth and pull the trigger. Does that person necessarily want to commit suicide? No, but they don't know how else to express mm-hmm. what the the, the, the amount of over right now. Right, they're they're overwhelmed. They they're you know they're they're mad they're hurting they don't know how to how to say what it is they don't they don't know the words well it's and, you know that's a strange thing because I'm as a as a chaplain I, I did all this education stuff and I have pretty good vocabulary and and Kate will tell you right here she's nodding for those of y'all don't see on camera when I lose it I mean like fucks the first thing out of my mouth i mean it's just like and and i don't know what to say and i don't know what i mean it's all happening so quick and so fast that there's no real like the best thing in the world is to know like something's coming up and i can get out of here Mm -hmm. because then i'm not going to say things to hurt people because i don't like i don't want to hurt kate right that's what and that's what david david will um you know he'll he'll remove try to remove himself if he has the ability because he doesn't he doesn't want to hurt anybody he's a genuinely nice guy mm-hmm. like he's he's my giant teddy bear don't kill me <laughs> he, is, he is he is he is truly he's an incredible incredible person and you know and it's sometimes he and I are best friends and dealing with stuff sometimes he and I are still boyfriend and girlfriend sometimes we're husband and wife it just depends on what's going on and how we approach it. You know, and but first and foremost, we're friends first. We have that that foundation of friendship, which gives us, I think, the ability to tackle things and deal with things, and it not be so divisive. And you know, it just it's 
for for the couples that are young, and, and I don't mean in, in they've been together for a long time as a couple. What I'm talking about is like they're younger people, so they don't have as much of life experience as we do. They haven't seen as many things go down. And all of a sudden, this is happening because they're in the same boat as we are right. with this. And it's like, how did they even talk? Um, you have to figure out. It, it's it takes just as much work as being married takes. You know, you can't you can't just say, "Oh, I'm married," and blah blah. I mean, every day you work at it, and you know, it's that you're either, you know, you choose to be there. You know, I don't need David, but I choose to be with David, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Oh, yeah. And so no matter what, I see, you know, he is an, he's an incredible person, and I want to be with him, and I want to have a life with him. So, you know, it takes work. It takes creativity. It takes, you know, you have to be, I hate the word dedicated, but I don't know another way to describe what I'm trying to say. Like, it's, you have to be willing to fight, and... You know, and that's one of those things where I'm a fighter anyway, but good and bad. <laughs> we'll let the door out of this. <laughs> but it's that you have to be willing to fight. Bottom line is you have to be willing to fight. And, you know, and it's things like he doesn't remember. So I painted the outside of the pantry door, made it look DIY and, you know, used chalkboard and put a schedule on there. Because it's, you know, it's not his fault, he can't remember, but it aggravates the living crap out of me to keep repeating myself. So, you know, it's put it on the board. And that way, it gives him a point. If he's trying to remember, he can start there. If after that, he's still not sure what's going on, you know, that's a different type of conversation. If that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, it does, because... But we, you know, and you know, you've probably seen it dealing with folks all over the world, you know, the reality is this we always treat our friends better than we treat our family yep mm-hmm. so focus on the friendship you know yeah. make sh- build that friendship that remind the joneses up here monroe and sarah mm-hmm. we did their interview and they've been married 44 years oh my god i was just like what <laughs> they don't even look like they're old enough to have been married 44 yeah. years and um I, we're you know they're both vets and we were talking about it and, and sarah said well i like sometimes thinking of myself as the host and this man is a guest in my life and it makes things I, I we act differently that way mm-hmm. like you're saying we do um yeah because i've probably never treated anybody as bad as i've treated kate or at least said what i've said well her brother but, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> um but uh, other than that i mean you know like oh, you Matt. um <laughs> You hurt the ones you love. Yep. And it's a, and that's the tough thing. That's the hardest thing I think about post traumatic stress is when I when I when when I got off all that medication that I was on because I was just virtually stoned for a few years, and I started trying to do something, and and when I was playing music and I would sit and talk with people, I realized that the talking was doing something good, but then I started thinking. Why shouldn't you talk to everybody? <laughs> and that's where you know, and like, and after Scott Carpenter had me out to Oregon to do that this summer, and uh, and unfortunately, you know, if he hadn't had leukemia, I probably wouldn't have agreed to it. <laughs> and, Scott, how you doing, buddy? Um, I, I'm, he's in remission right now, oh, that's which awesome. is like praise God. Congratulations! Oh, and speaking of which, for those of y'all in the vet church community, I got a call from Jamie Watley this morning. Y'all know she had some tests. Um, she does not have cancer, so that was huge. Thank God, news this morning. Another like in the and Jamie did a veterans interview too. And and I, but it is. It's that. It's that. Like in all reality, there's no magic person that can be there for me and Kate when it's just me and Kate, and and Kate has to heal me and I have to heal Kate at times because sometimes when you live with somebody with post-traumatic stress it pushes you to an edge well and it's been I mean you know in the last year and a half we've had a a lot of stuff happen and um, it's been one of those that balance of 
you know, I've, I've been his support network for a long time. And then, you know, now I'm dealing with my own struggles with the loss of a child. And um, so it's like, that's been actually, it's been a double-edged sword because it's, he feels like he doesn't know how to help me. So that fuels his frustration. And then at the same time, it's, you know, when I'm hitting a wall, he's still there to, to try to pick me up. And it's, but he doesn't. He knows about being picked up. Right. So it's, you know, it's been, um, last year and a half's been a interesting journey. <laughs> if you want to say anything about that, we can. If you want to move on, let's move on. Yeah. What are, I mean, because hurt and pain, it ain't nobody immune to it. No. That's what, that's what I like. And, and I think about just what you do in that truck every day. You know, as when, as when I was a chaplain, people would say, like, what's it like being a chaplain? You don't carry a weapon. You've got a personal assistant who comes alongside. And, and, and when I was a chaplain assistant, I was a bodyguard. I felt like a lot of times. And then sometimes you're just like, I felt like I was just shining my chaplain's boots or making sure he had a clean uniform or, you know. And, and it was a weird journey. And folks have looked at me now that I've done chaplain assistant, chaplain candidate, and chaplain in the Army and been like, what's that like to care for so many people? And, and now vet church and people keep calling me chaplain. Although I'm not getting paid or anything, and our job's easy, Matt. Our job is so easy. It's the you know, to be honest with you, our dispatchers are the people that I worry about. Because if you think about when you pick up nine one one and you call that that number, mm-hmm. and you think about the person on the other end of that phone, all they get to hear is your life falling apart. We get to go. We get to be there. We get to put our hands on the person. We get the closure. They're left with the phone hung up. Like my dispatchers are the ones that I worry about. I never thought of that. Those are those are, you know, our dispatchers are. I I think their job is way harder than mine could ever be. I mean, it's at this point, you look at car manufacturers and things like that. They're putting us out of business, which isn't a bad thing. People are walking away from wrecks that they shouldn't be. You know, ninety nine percent of my job at this point is social work. It's that hug. It's that holding that hand. It's, you know, there's been folks that I've um, transferred it, transferred over to Emerald Coast Behavioral Veterans struggling, um, you know, psych, psych transfers. And some of them didn't know about resources in the community. And through you and through other things, I've been able to, you know, give them, write some stuff down. And so when they get done there, they have something to come back to when they come home. Some tangible, you know, so it's, real it's, life. Right. It's all that, you know, it's, that's social work. That's 99% of our job is, is social work at this point, um, which isn't bad. It's not a bad thing, but it's my dispatchers are the ones that I worry about. You know, I never thought about that, though. It, um, or the chaplain people would come and talk to me. And in the like when I was in the BSB and, and um, Third Brigade in general, I, was, I stayed with those people. The, those, that was my tribe. These were my folks. There was my family. Um, beyond an extension of Kate and even you know and Kate became part of that family too and all the other spouses did also and so we were we kind of saw things on the bad and then like five weeks later because <laughs> five weeks later it exists and so some, some of what you're seeing is that but the people picking up the phone they're getting no sometimes they call us and be like hey what happened on that you know, so we can talk to our dispatchers and let them know, but at the same time, we're running. You know, we drop one at the hospital, we get the next emergency traffic, you know. And so it's, there's no follow-up for them, per se. There's no closure. There's no, there's no end. It's just, you call, you know, you that child calls and says, hey, that my, my mom's not breathing. And they have to sit there and try to, you know, talk that child through potentially doing CPR on their parent or something. And they don't know any outcome. They don't know... You know, it's gut-wrenching. It's absolutely gut-wrenching. I, I feel so, you know, I feel my dispatchers work way harder than we ever do on the ambulance. So so we, we've talked about some painful stuff. Let's talk about the opposite of that, the fun. Because <laughs> you've taught me that fun is important in a oh, way. Yeah. Like you've... You have to laugh. Originally, when when the band was like just hanging out and doing a couple of private parties, you guys had us out to the motorcycle club. We got to start playing at a place that 
most bands don't even get an opportunity to show up to. <laughs> it's just awesome, you know. It's like in and, and to see all that American steel all shined up and everybody in their their gear and looking cool and being together and and I started really like um, like Dan said the drummer our drummer said you know it's you have to have fun but it has to be fun where it's you're safe and you're with people that love you and care about you mm-hmm. and and you really brought that to me why why did you I'm like is that always been part of like kind of like how to you laugh, cared whether for it's people at or... myself or um what was the movie Robin Williams did um Patch Adams yeah that's a true story really yes there that's a true story about a um a doctor and it you know uh laughter is medicine i mean it it is laughter is i mean um inside of our ambulances are like giant dry erase boards you know, and I'm on a long-distance transfer to Panama City. I don't know how many people are familiar with Highway 98, but it super sucks. And so it takes a while, like, to get down the highway. So, you know, we'll be playing Hangman or whatever on the walls. You know, it's, it's, you have to find the joy in life. If you, if you, you've got to, you've got to laugh. You've got to enjoy, embrace the suck. You yeah. know, it's short-term suck for long-term gain. It's it's important to find happiness and and i'm a positive poly person anyway i'm always looking at that glass as half full and so it's easy for me to go out there and search you know when these guys are struggling it's sometimes hard to find their motivation to go look for that positive and you know and that's where as a spouse we have to be nagging and keep poking that bear and make them get up and make them go out that door and make them realize that they can and that they can enjoy something and that they they are capable and that they have value because I think that's one of the biggest downfalls for a lot of these guys is they don't see their value and women I apologize I don't mean to discount um they have value they have something to give they have things to teach they have something to share they're such an important part of as a society who we are you know they have the history that's you know it's it's they matter, and sometimes you know they just need to be reminded a little more than maybe other people that they matter. What? There's a lot there. I mean, I felt like you know I finished my doctorate degree in April, and in May I became mad. Everything <laughs> I was working for to be in the military is over, and I just felt I would go in there and the doctor would be like, "How you doing?" I just feeling horrible. Here, take four of these. <laughs> you know, and I just, I took them too, you know, I mean, I just started taking all those pain pills and that wasn't the total answer that helped me get to a place. I want to be where I'm at now, but it wasn't the whole answer. Nobody told me, Hey, you should be having fun. It wasn't until the band started playing music together. You guys were the icing on the cake at my son's celebration of life. I mean, it just was because of the issues and things he had like you know he'd never had since he was about three or four years old he'd never had a a birthday party because you know he didn't fit in with his autism and things like that he didn't fit in with the other kids but he didn't understand why with kids being where they are today why you know nobody's going to come to the birthday party because they don't want to be friends you know with the weird kid or whatever and that was just you just you brought such the awesome element to to that like it was just I don't know I can't put into words but it was I wasn't going to bring that up at all um sorry I will say this your son's name Andrew Andrew Carlin Andrew had autism I would sit out there I've talked to him several times and um he's not with us anymore and up until that time the only time I was ever associated with anything at the end of life was sad horribly sad and just weeks before my mom had died mm-hmm. and you and, and David come over to the house and brought one of the finest bottles of whiskey I've ever tasted <laughs> in my life um, and, and some little red cuffs and we, we and you said take a shot of this but it's gonna burn <laughs> And it did, and ever since then I've been drinking whiskey when I get for pleasure, not I'm, not, I'm sitting down <laughs> drinking every night. <laughs> but um, 
But I was, I, I never experienced anything quite that wonderful at the moment. And, um, and then your son passed and, and I was so shaken cause I didn't know what to do about Andrew dying because Andrew was part of this community. He was, he was part of my life. He was vibrant. Yeah. And, um, and, and you said, we're going to do a celebration of life party. And you're going to set the band right back up here and play. And I said, what? And and David said, no, this is the appropriate thing to do. And I thought, I thought I can't do it. I remember, I remember like, I think I'm standing right in here. It was set up a little differently. And I, I remember like trying not to cry and thinking, I can't, I can't do that, David. And he's like, yeah, you can. You're going to be fine. Yep. And we played music and, and it's true in life. There's some bad there's some real crap but there's also some some good stuff mm-hmm. and that was one of the biggest in fact that was the last community wide party we've had where everybody yeah, in this the community yeah. really hung out we probably ought to do that again I'm down oh. <laughs> I'm oh. super down <laughs> it was it was a good thing to have every like I remember all there, there must have been 50 kids back here playing kickball yep and it was perfect. It was it was exactly what he always wanted. I mean, it was perfect. Yeah, and and so much of life is just you know. And that you know, originally when I started playing music, I'd ask David. I said, "Man, I'm struggling with this idea." I said, "I'm playing. I'm going and playing in people's driveways and showing up at their work and playing a song for them." <laughs> And they're and, and, and some of them are crying, and and some of them are looking at me like that's real important music you're playing. Like these songs are. You have a real. tremendous message. Well, and it blew me away because because David worked for Garth Brooks. <laughs> I mean, like, and that that blew me away too. Because one day he called me and he said, "Come, come." Sit. Well, you, were, I think you were here. And he's like, "Come sit down." Well, you don't want to know the difference between you and Garth Brooks. And I said, "What is it?" <laughs> and he said, "For me." The difference is, is you're right here. You're real. And in this whole idea of vet church, is that you're a real person. You live right here in Okaloosa County. You get on a real ambulance. You have real daughters who are doing real things. Anybody got a great deal on a really nice Jeep, Emily? And <laughs> Tiffany Blue. It's what? You, what is it? Well, she wants Tiffany Blue. Tiffany Blue. So, so Emily Ann is is a uh, fifteen, sixteen, fifteen now. Fifteen now. And and like if I had if I had the money, I would give this girl. You want to help the daughter of a veteran out with a large personality? She's an awesome girl. She would. This is this is the the. I'm going to talk about the character of her for a minute. That child. She. How can you? She would, when my mom was dying of cancer, she would, my mom would come up here. It was about, this is 45 minutes from my parents' house. And Emily Ann would come, find out my mom was coming, bake my mom a cake, and bring it over. And my mom liked sweet stuff. Man, my mom liked cake. And and my mom had spent her life teaching 45 years as a, as a teacher. And she taught kids with disabilities how to read. That was her thing. And she loved Emily, and Emily loved her. Mm-hmm. And that, if you ever, if you guys out there have a Jeep sitting in the backyard that you want to like really donate, she wants to, to learn how to work on it. She doesn't want new; she wants old. That's it. That's, see, the girl wants to turn her inch. Yeah. So, and um, she, it, you know, like I, she's a cool. I she's mean, a mess. <laughs> she is, I don't but. Want you to That's true. That's true. She did. I, creative. You know, she was creative. She yeah. I remember. I remember when she she brought over like because I, I can't eat a lot of milk and she made well I can't eat any milk but she would if it's cooked it's like so she would make some stuff that she's an interesting girl. <laughs> I'll tell you. You know something. Um, kind of changing back. You asked me something uh, a little bit ago about younger couples, and I know. Um, thought of something and this this might sound kind of weird I don't think you and I've ever talked about this but one thing I had to learn um, was how to say no to David and let me kind of explain that to you totally totally changing the subject here um, 
We're segueing back. But it, I, th- I feel like it's an important thing, and, and this might sound really weird of how do you not say no to you know your spouse, but it's that you know you want to see them whatever it's going to take to, for them to feel as whole as they can feel or feel successful. So it's like, you know, they say, oh, I want to go do this. Go do it. It might be that thing that works, that where everything clicks and you're going to, you know, take it and run and and whatever. And it's, you know, I finally was learning that this was an impulsive thing. It wasn't a healthy thing necessarily. And having to learn how to say no and being okay with saying no, because it's like you say no, and then it's the, well, why not? I've already done this, and I've done that, and I've sacrificed this, and I, so why can't I? And it's that, it's kind of being that balance when they don't know that they need that balance. Well, it, it, otherwise. Because you don't like saying no, like it's, that's hard. Spouses can become enablers. Yes. I, I mean, I think that's what we're talking about. Yes. And it's hard, it's a hard line to see. It's a hard line to walk. It's a hard... I mean, it's... I, I, I remember... Because um, if you're a younger couple, you're still learning how to communicate. You're learning how to be a team. You're learning how to be a partnership. And, you know, and that's... Those are all important aspects. But you've got to be able... You know, it's... it. I think this maybe goes into a respect issue in a way. Is, you know, it's that... I don't know. I don't know what the... I don't know how to try to say what I'm trying to say. But it's that... Being able to say no and being okay with saying no and understanding that you may not like the response that you get from them, but it's okay to say no when you're not when you're doing it for. I can't remember the vet church interview. It, um, we were in Morgan City, Louisiana, and the lady, Christy, Christy her. Um, They've been married for twenty years, and he had. PTSD came back from Iraq and things changed almost overnight and she kept not she she said almost the same thing you're saying what was this reminded me of in that area she said there came a point she looked at the camera and said you have to stop the madness and Mm -hmm. say I'm not going to be part of this anymore and that's what you're talking about to a point it's that you know a lot of times when they're starting that downward spiral because you'll find these guys will maintain and maintain and maintain and then you there's little things you'll see it's it's almost like a consistent pattern of self-destruction the spiral that they get on and when this isn't working then they're going to jump over here and this is going to be their next venture and then when that doesn't work it's their next venture and their next venture and it's like at some point as a spouse you have that responsibility to say no this isn't we're not going to jump over here and do this it's you know physically irresponsible, financially irresponsible, you know, learning to be okay with saying no because you need to be that balance for them. Yeah. When they're off balance, we have to be that balance. And sometimes it's hard to recognize when we need to step in because we're not okay saying no because it's that you're hoping if they take this leap and take this venture and go that maybe that will be the one that works. But it's not real help. Right. And, and I think that's what, uh, right. was it Crystal? Christy was saying, she said, I, I looked him in the eye and said, you have to get real help. Yeah. You got to stop this messing around. And, and it wound up, they wound up being divorced over it, which blows, but that's part of our community. Yeah. I mean, this veteran life is full of divorce, mm-hmm. but you have to have real help. Yeah. And... and Part of that real just, help from real sources, though. Like, you can't just... And that's the thing, is it's you have to consider the source. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you got to... Uh, Bob Reagan of Operation Saul. I love him. I know. He's so cool, <laughs> isn't he? Well, and he said something to me when I first started doing this. And uh, he said, Matt, if somebody can't tell you in, like, one to two minutes exactly what they're doing and what they're about, they just want your money. <laughs> which which really even to this day made me feel like wow operate because operation song you get it in like 30 seconds it's about taking veterans and helping them tell their story that's what vet church is about it's about healing a nation heal red white and blue america and then you know you got iraq afghanistan vietnam korea
the idea is we heal through these stories yeah. and that that if there is a God which I, I believe I know not everybody in the group believes like I do and if some people just tolerate me on Sunday <laughs> that's okay um, we have to tolerate folks sometimes <laughs> I'm one of them but the the idea is that we can heal through our stories because I think they're mm-hmm. sacred and every story has that uh-uh, we're not going in that direction because that ain't healthy um we get what So we need to wrap this up? Yeah. Okay. Hey, everybody. We're going to wrap this up. We've been talking now for 50, 50 minutes on the podcast. Anyway. We could probably continue on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we could. Easy peasy. <laughs> well, hey, uh, so if, if you were, if, uh, so as, as, we're, as we're ending things out here, if you were to say one thing to this tribe, all these veterans, all our friends, all our family, if you were to just say one encouraging thing that like would just hit you, what would it be? It's a lot of pressure. Um, well, you, you're a you're a healthcare provider, though. You're like you're on the front lines. I mean, it's just. I mean, it's just don't give up the fight. Like there, there's people fighting for you that you don't even know. I mean, there's there's just stay in the fight. I mean, it's don't stop. Yeah, just you can't quit. It's you just you just can't quit. There's people out there. There are a lot of people out there fighting for you that you you don't know fighting for it to get right. Thank you for joining us for this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.